think it shows a strength in the Canadian system that we can work together in Canada to get ready for these games and all be ready to race in that final. Welcome to the ShakeOut Podcast. I'm your host, Kate Van Buskirk. We're now only three weeks out from the start of the Tokyo Olympics. And to celebrate, we're bringing you a mini-series called The ShakeOut Podcast, Olympic Bound Canadians. Each week, I sit down with some of our country's best runners who are headed to the Tokyo Games. Each episode will focus on a different event group and sex category. We'll chat about athletes' preparation for the Games, their goals, and other exciting storylines to follow. Our third episode features the women's steeplechase with Jen Lalonde, Regan Yee, and Alicia Butterworth. All right, listeners, well, welcome back to another episode of the ShakeOut Podcast, our Tokyo Qualifier Series. This week, we are focused on the women's 3,000-meter steeplechase, one of the nine events in which Canada is sending a full roster, three athletes, to the Tokyo Olympic Games. Uh, and I'm joined today by our not only our three Tokyo qualifiers, but also the top three women at the AC Olympic Trials this summer, just a couple of weeks ago which is really exciting because for those who have been following along with the storylines, there were not many athletes who attended the trials in general. And I don't think that there were very many events in which we had all three Olympians come out of that race. And we're very lucky to be joined by those women today. So on the call today, I have Jen Lalonde, Regan Yee, and Alicia Butterworth. First of all, ladies, congratulations on your nomination to the Canadian Olympic team. And thanks so much for joining us on the ShakeOut podcast today. Thanks so much, Kate. Yeah, happy to be here. So we'll start with you, Jen, because you're actually a returning guest on the ShakeOut podcast. Thanks for coming back. It's been too long since we had you on last. Uh. And I got to say to Jen, this is kind of funny because we're both in Flagstaff, Arizona. So Jen is actually, if I spoke loudly enough in my room right now, I think she would probably hear me (laughs) because she's just above me in the same building um, here at the Senesta Suites in Flagstaff, Arizona. So Jen, welcome back to the ShakeOut. Um, How has your transition to altitude been? Yeah, pretty good. I'm uh, really lucky. I'm joined actually by one of my coaches, Joël Bourgeois. So and his uh, daughter, as well as my dad. So I've got a little crew here. And then, you know, as well as the other Athletics Canada athletes. Um, I uh, had the opportunity to train in BC uh, throughout the winter and then got to, to race against these lovely ladies. And, uh, you know, we got to push ourselves um, to get that standard and to get those points to, to make it to Tokyo. And uh, that was really, really exciting and such an awesome year. And, uh, and then now, yeah, up here in altitude um, for a little pre-camp before we head off to Japan. <laughs> Jen, I'm always so inspired by your like relentless positivity and optimism, because in a year that I think was really, really difficult for all of our athletes, you have just been like this beacon of positivity and hopefulness. So I think that's awesome. Thank you for, for that. And congrats again, because it paid off big time in terms of your qualification. But really, really happy that you're, you're back. And this is going to be your second Olympic team in the 3000 meter steeplechase. That's super exciting. How do you feel about this one, given that it's going to be so different from Rio? Um, you know, I think it's a testament to the strength of the women's steeplechase. We had three women in, in Rio and, and now three women in, in Tokyo. And, uh, you know, things have mixed up and mashed up and we've got uh, an even stronger team heading there. And I think that is uh, um, itself very exciting, as well as all of the distance fields. Um, you know, in Canada has been just so inspiring to uh, follow along, but also be a part of. 
And so I think heading into Tokyo, you know, I'm confident that um, I've been inspired and pushed by all of these athletes to train harder, run faster, and be more prepared. And I think that's going to help all of us as soon as we step on the line. Can't wait to watch it happen. Regan and Alicia, I believe you're both joining us from the Vancouver area. Is that correct? Yes. Yep. Yes, yeah, both West Coasters. Awesome. And you two are actually training partners. So you've been spending a lot of this season together. Um, Regan, maybe we'll start with you. What has that been like over the last several months? Again, you know, we keep saying it, but this year has been so difficult for everyone. And I can appreciate what it's like to have a training buddy, you know, someone to help push you in workouts, but also kind of help get through those darker moments, just like emotionally and mentally when it comes to uh, the uncertainty of everything with COVID. So how has the last year been for you and what's it been like training with Alicia? Um, yeah, that, that's totally right. Like I would not have gotten through this last year without my training partners and especially without Alicia. Um, she's been in our group for two years. Is that right? Two years now, Alicia? Yeah. Um, but it's made like a world of difference specifically for my steeplechase training, like having another um, steeplechase athlete to train with. And Alicia's really good over, over the barriers and like her hurdle form and stuff. So, um, that's been a huge help, like specifically for steeplechase technique. Um, but, but yeah, like it, it makes all the difference having someone out there to, to grind away with and to get out the door for doubles with and to push each other in, in those hard workouts. Yeah. Absolutely. Again, I've been training here with Andrea Sakafian. And I, when you talked about those doubles, I can relate to that so much because it's like, you know, you can get yourself up for a big, hard session, but to then like six hours later, force yourself to put on the shoes and get out the door when you're like, I just finished running. Why do I have to do this again? <laughs> That's really helpful. So I'm glad you've had each other. Alicia, hi, welcome to the Shakeout Podcast. We haven't had you on before, but we're really glad that you're joining us. Uh, why don't you give us kind of a recap of what the last you know, year has been like for you and what it's meant to you to make this team? Yeah, this, um, oh man, this team, I feel like has been a long time coming. I was close to making the 2016 team, but, uh, just, just missed out. Um, and the last year, I think honestly, for me has been kind of a blessing. Um, I got injured, I think in, um, April of 2020. So had it been, um, had the games not been postponed, uh, I don't know that I would have been on the team. Um, this last year, I've been able to really rein in my training, um, keep control of injuries, and then really start to, because I'm kind of new to uh, the training group with Regan and Mark Bamba's coaching plan, I feel like it's finally started to really set in and it started to work really well for me. Um, so yeah, I really appreciated the extra time. Um, I also, um, I work a full-time job and so being able to work from home the last year has added a ton of flexibility to my training, uh, which has also been just a massive, massive help. What do you do for work? I work as a data scientist for TransLink. Wow. What does that entail? <laughs> A lot of uh, processing data, some statistics, some um, computer programming, and just analyzing um, our ridership and the trends and how it changes, especially with COVID, how it has changed. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, we've spoken with a lot of athletes who talk about having to balance work with training. Um, obviously, our sport is not the most lucrative. And I think all of us can relate to what it's like to have to sort of hustle in, in various other elements of our lives to make this work for us financially. 
But working a full-time job, I know you mentioned there that working from home afforded you a bit more flexibility this year, but how have you struck that balance? Because you've been competing at a high level for a number of years now, and I'm curious how you're making that all work, especially under such a high-pressure year. Yeah, I've actually only been working full-time for a year and a half. Before that, I was on part-time work um, or a student. And so it has. It was only about six months that I was even in the office uh, before we switched to work from home. Um, but before that, my office had a really great uh, gym in it. And so that helped me out as well. And it had trails nearby. So I was able to do a lot of working out on my lunch break, right after work before I came home. And so that helped me balance it. And then, yeah, that only happened for six months. And then I was able to move to working from home, which just no commute time, just that extra time to sleep, recover and train. Yeah, I think that has been a bit of a blessing in disguise for for those of us who are trying to uh, yeah, train and compete and travel and do all of those other things as well. You mentioned that the the move to the group with Regan and with Mark Bamba is fairly new. I'm curious what that's been like for you transitioning as an athlete into a new training group and into a new structure. What do you think some of the key elements of that training have been that have helped kind of catapult you to a, a higher level? And Regan, you can feel free to jump in on that too, in terms of just commenting on the type of training you guys do. I think that um, with with Bomba's group, um, there's a lot of really just long grinding workouts with little rest um, and a lot of longer reps. And I think that is first, very hard to transition to if you're not used to that type of training, but also incredibly beneficial and has made um, all the difference for me. And then I think, well, in my opinion, the has allowed for longevity in Regan and a lot of his other athletes careers, but Regan can jump in and say more. Yeah, like I, I don't know any other training, like I've been with Mark for my entire athletic career, um, like since high school. So I, I don't know any, any other any different, you know? Um, but yeah, I think like based on like what Alicia has told me about what other groups do and, and seeing other, other workouts on Strava or whatever, it, it does seem like we have a lot of, um, yeah, like we take our easy days really easy and our, our hard days, we go hard. I think they call that polarized training. That's something Trent Stellingworth talks about constantly. <laughs> and I think it's a really good approach. Um, especially again, if you're, you know, the harder you hit those workouts, I think both physically and mentally, the more you need that like pull back and that chill out time on some of the easier runs while still getting the mileage in. Well, it's obviously worked really well for both of you ladies. I want to talk more about how the com- competitive season has gone, especially over the last couple of weeks. But Jen, speaking of Trent Stellingworth, you have been advised by Trent. You've been coached by his wife, Hillary, um, and of course, Joelle over the last uh, year and a half now, has it been? Yeah, yeah. Since uh, the 2019 Worlds, after, right after that, I uh, headed off to Victoria where um, yeah, I was graciously greeted by uh, Hillary and uh, yeah, Trent, you know, is, is part of the family. So, of course, uh, um, you get to see him around, too. And then um, Joelle came out and visited a few times and then um, they've just worked so well together. It's been, uh, you know, I, I've, I've trained with Joelle since since I was a kid. He, w- he was my coach when I was young. So um, having him kind of back in the in the loop and, and working with Hillary, who was my past teammate, um, you know, I, I knew her so well. So it was just so cool. Um, and also to have, you know, a woman on the team who has that experience uh, has been just so, so fulfilling. So 
Um, yeah, but then I'm also just, uh, you know, a ferry ride away from, from Regan and Alicia. So, um, I definitely, you know, it's, it's so great to, to see them train and compete, um, and not be so far so that, uh, you know, when, when the time came that, that I could take that ferry, um, albeit within the COVID restrictions, uh, to, to go and compete against them. And, and how awesome is that to have them just, just so close. So. Jen, you had some injury setbacks a little while ago. If you're comfortable with it, maybe you could tell us more about what that was like for you and and what the return to health and fitness has been like. Yeah, so I mean, this last year was I was so excited, you know, every as everyone was to to head into an Olympic year and uh, pandemic struck and and evidently we had to kind of switch up training and and uh, modify things so that we could prolong it and and head into uh, the 2021 year. Um, in full fitness, uh, which we did. And then I was getting ready for a 10K and uh, went out on a, onto a normal training route that I would go on. And about halfway through, my hip just kind of clenched. And um, I didn't really know what it was. You know, you always kind of think, oh, it'll take a few days and I'll be fine. And uh, of course, a few days later, I was not fine. Um, luckily, you know, I was part of the, I was. I got access to all of the West Hub um, facilities as well as the Pacific Sports Center and um, was was examined right away. And uh, they realized that I had torn my glute med, which is a really weird muscle to tear as a runner. Um, ultimately, things were tight. I had snowed. I had shoveled. There was so many things. I'd done a workout on the track in the rain, um, just all kinds of things combined and uh and it was torn and it was gonna take um you know they weren't telling me how long it was gonna take but it was gonna take a few weeks to to get ready and and to get healed and it ultimately did seven weeks of um no training just uh you know I was able to go into the pool every now and again but um yeah completely off and uh, just hoping that my hip was gonna heal for the summer and um, watching everyone else run and and race and so well and and being inspired by that, but also being like oh so daunting that when am I going to be able to step onto the track just to do a few two hundreds and um, we started off really slowly just running around soccer fields on the grass and doing minutes on and minutes off and um, all of those things that you don't really want to be doing in an Olympic year, but. Um, we did it and you know every every week I've gotten better and every week have gotten stronger and um, you know uh, two weeks before um, the, my first steeple I was able to run a 5k and uh, you know headed into that race not knowing kind of what what shape I was in um, and and just raced it uh, and then two weeks later we were gonna run a steeple and you know I was gonna chase after Regan and Alicia and, and we, you know, I had done a barriers of once and, um, we got in there and, um, uh, and just ran. And then two weeks later, you know, same thing, just, just kept grinding at it. And, uh, that's where we are now. And honestly, training's going so well and, and I'm fully healed and, uh, just really excited as to what the next two weeks will lead into. And, uh, and two weeks after that. <laughs> well, you're on a good roll. That's really good to hear. I mean, I think that like every, 
listener who is a runner can relate to what it's like to have to come back from injury, especially when you have a big goal. But what most people can't relate to is the fact that not only do you have to get fit again, but then you have to jump over a bunch of barriers throughout your your event. Um, I would imagine that would be really scary with any type of injury, being a steeplechaser or a hurdler, where you know there's that like added element of unreliability in terms of like having to get up and over something. Yeah, I think we can all attest to the fact that, you know, every time you go over the any barrier, you're you're like, okay, one down, another one down. Okay, keep moving. <laughs> um yeah. yeah. So I, I any any good day, you know, you're 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 counting down the barriers, but uh but ultimately once you once you get to the final games, you know, you're ready and, and you don't you don't have to worry about the barriers anymore. You just have to worry about racing. Well, of course, speaking of racing, um, there were very few opportunities within Canada this year to race, and the three of you did stay in Canada. I mean, there were lots of athletes that left for long stretches, myself included, to go chase races in the States, which was you know, a difficult decision because of the two-week mandatory quarantine upon arrival back home. Um, and it sounds like all three of you made really good decisions for yourself and were able to remain really patient, which I can't imagine is an easy thing. Just a reminder to our audience, the Olympic qualifying standard for the women's steeplechase is 930 flat, which is a very high standard. Um, Jen, I believe you had your qualifying standard from 2019, which was your former now Canadian record at 929 point. But Regan and Alicia, you both were chasing that standard for a long time. And both of you came so close a couple of times before you actually were able to uh, get your get yourselves named to this team. We should mention Regan is our new national record holder at 927.5 just at that Montreal last chance meet. That was so exciting to watch. We'll try to link that in the show notes so that our audience can get a, a view of what that race was like. But um, Regan, what was it like for you chasing that standard and coming so close over and over again um, and then finally achieving it on the last possible day to do so? Yeah, well, early in the season, I, I had to like stop watching race videos from the States because I was getting so much FOMO sitting at home in Canada and seeing all these fast times run in, in the States and in Europe. Um, and of course, every week, because I was still hoping to get it on ranking. So every week I'd be refreshing the rankings and I was starting to get like a little crazy over it. So I had to just step back from it all, like take it day by day, focus on myself, um, put in the work in the workouts, like all that kind of stuff. Um, and then we did a, like a 2k steeplechase, um, at the end of May as like a little, like, I don't know, primer kind of race, a tune up. And it went terribly for me. And I like, I had to really like do a mental check and like, okay, it's okay. That was your first steeplechase since the world champs, like shake it off. Like you can still do this. Um, and then I went over to Victoria, um, and raced with Jen, uh, and Mariah in a 15, and got my ra- my race legs back under me a little bit. Um, remembered what it what it felt like to race again and to to push myself. Um, and then yeah, after that, like Harry Jerome went really well. Um, Jen, she had said before, like let's just work together and get some standards for some girls. So we went out there. We worked hard. Uh, Alicia took the lead. Like we all, yeah, we all just went for it, and it was it was great. Um, and then yeah, nationals. I was feeling good. I was nervous. Um, you know, if you just run close to the standard once, you, you're like, okay, maybe that was like a special race. But then we did it a second time. So it was like, okay, there's some consistency here. It gives you like um, a lot of confidence. So so the final race at um, Classique, I, I went into it feeling, yeah, pretty confident, nervous, obviously, but also just at peace. And my mind wasn't going like crazy, like wondering what was going to happen. Um, so yeah, I, I just 
got on the start line and tried to run fearlessly and just calmly. Um, and yeah, I crossed the finish line and saw the time. Like I was, I've, I've never had a feeling of that before after a race. It was pretty awesome. I love that combination of calm and fearless or calm and fierce. I think you said fearless, fearless, fearless. Yeah. Calm and fearless. That's a, that's a tough thing. Like that's like right in the sweet spot. What do they call it? The optimal state of arousal, right? Where you have to be like on, like you have to be in it, but you can't have it overwhelm you. That's really tough. Do you think that just having, I mean, you kind of mentioned this, but just having that number of opportunities to race and come so close over and over again, do you think that was what helped put you in that mindset or were there other, you know, techniques you used or things that you kind of drew on to, to get yourself to that point? Um, yeah, like having my coach there, like Mark Bamba in Montreal, like he was definitely like a source of, of confidence and, um, just like having him there always calms me down a little bit, um, like gets rid of those race nerves sort of, but yeah, definitely having, having those races leading into it and, and kind of knowing that, okay, like it's there. I felt good in those races. I know that there's like a little bit more in the tank still like that. That definitely helps the confidence. Yeah, absolutely. So you PB'd three times this year. Is that right? Um, no. Well, if you count the 2K steeplechase we did, which was okay. a terrible race, but it was still, but no, um, the Harry Jerome and, um, Nationals was a little bit slower than Harry Jerome. Right. Um, so right. just the two times. So again, just for context for our listeners, 930 is that qualifying time. Regan ran 931.0 at Harry Jerome, 931.4 at the trials. And then finally at that last chance meet ran 927.5. So I mean, that's what, it's what they say, right? Like sometimes athletes have to ride that plateau for a little bit before you can have that sort of like takeoff. Um, sounds like you really exemplified that this season. Congrats. Very, very thrilling. Yeah. It's the, uh, the John Gay fairy tale story, you know, (laughs) two times really close third time you'll get it. Yeah. There you go. All right. Speaking of coming really close, we're going to come back to you in a minute because this is not the first time that you've kind of gotten things in right at the wire, but I want to bring Alicia in for a minute and talk about how your season has gone because you've also had a stellar last couple of races you ran a 931.2 at the Harry Jerome meet in June and then came second at the AC trials in 932.4. So a really similar story, right? In that you were just like right outside that standard several times. And ultimately, I believe, Alicia, it was that 931.2 from Harry Jerome that got you um, like high enough in the rankings to be named to this team. Is that correct? Um, it was actually all three races. So because I didn't have the time standard, um, I needed, I needed points from all three races in order to make it. I had none of my races from 2019 were good enough to help my points. Um, so I was kind of in this precarious situation where I needed to knock all three of my races off the points and replace them with significantly higher um, in terms of, yeah, both the timing and the place score. Right. And we have talked quite a bit on this show about what the point system is like and how the rankings work. If our audience is still a little bit confused, don't worry. I am too. It's a really confusing system. But um, essentially, all three of those races that you did, Alicia, were high enough points races. Like you could accumulate enough points at them if you placed high enough and ran fast enough that that combination would get you on the team, essentially. Yes. Yeah. That being said, the third of those three races was the very last day of qualifying. Where where was your head at going in? Again, like knowing that you had run really fast times, you'd gotten some great points at the other two meets. What was going through your mind stepping on that line in Montreal? Well, I still, and I still, I still feel like I have 
faster times in me and faster times in me for this season. So I went into it knowing that um, I, I made a lot of technical errors and barrier errors at Harry Jerome, and I still ran a 931. So I figured if I could clean up my barriers a bit and have a good day, then that standard was in reach. Um, it was still in reach until the last lap, but I had a, a rough, a rough last lap in that race. Um, and it ended up being a little bit of a slower time, but, um, it was still, yeah, it was nerve wracking going in, but I knew I was in a position where I just needed to be consistent with the rest of the season in order to get myself the points. Obviously I wanted to qualify on time and not points. Uh, but I knew what I needed to do. I had done it in the other two races. So it was just about executing that same thing again. I didn't have to be, um, as Mark had told me, I didn't actually have to be any better. I just had to be good, um, that day. So I didn't, I didn't need anything spectacular. I just needed to be consistent. So given all of that, and given that, you know, that you can run faster than you have, of course, championship races can go a lot of different ways. Oftentimes they're, you know, in fact, slower than a a lot of competitors, personal best. Sometimes it's the opposite, but it sounds like you've learned a lot this year, um, both in terms of like race strategy, but also your technique, you've gotten stronger. What will you be drawing on most, um, that you think will help give you success in Tokyo from what you've learned over the last couple of weeks? I think for Tokyo, I just want to go have fun. And, um, as Regan had said, be fearless. So I just want to go in and race it. And I'm, it's finally, I don't have to worry about time. I don't have to worry about, um, points. I just, just race for that place, the place for the final and just, um, yeah, do everything I can to put myself in a position to qualify for the final and just, um, kind of zone, like just zone in on the racing aspect of it and not have to worry about anything else and try to think as little as possible and, and just, uh, run and let my fitness take me. Hopefully. Yeah. That sounds like such a good approach. Regan, I know that, um, we had just started to talk about this, but you getting kind of down to the wire with getting under this Olympic qualifying standard, I had said that it's not something that's completely new to you because I believe it was uh, the world championships where you basically qualified also in one of the last possible days to do so in 2019. Maybe you can take us back and tell us uh, a little bit about that story. And were you thinking about that at all going into this last chance meet in Montreal a few days ago? Um, yeah, my dad likes to say that, that I, it's like how I race as well. I tend to leave things a little bit like to the last minute. So I always have like, well, I sometimes have a good kick in like the last 80 meters or so, cause I just leave it a little too late. Um, but yeah, 2019 was sort of the same situation. I, um, had missed one of the earlier steeplechases in the season. I, I had strep throat. Um, so then Harry Jerome ended up being my season opener and I was, yeah, like, point zero five or something like that like a millis a few milliseconds away from the standard and yeah turned around the next week and we me and alicia both flew down to california um for the sunset tour and yeah same kind of thing i i just i knew it was in there um tried to run fearlessly and uh like just nipped under the standard and what will you be using going into Tokyo in terms of an approach or a race strategy, um, again, based on all of this, you know, cumulative experience over the last couple of years that's really, you know, led to a lot of success? Um, yes, yeah, basically what Alicia said as well. Like, I just, I want to have fun there. Um, in in uh, 2019 World Champs, I was like totally overwhelmed. 
um, just was basically trying to survive in the race. Um, this year I want to, I want to go out there. I want to fight for that spot. Like how cool it would it be to have three Canadians in the Olympic final, you know? Um, so, so yeah, I just want to get out there and, and I know that I've earned my spot there and that I can compete with these, with these ladies. It gives me chills to hear you say we could have three women, three Canadian women in the the steeplechase Olympic final. And I think it's totally within the realm of possibility. I want to talk more about the strength of the three of you. Again, you all competed at nationals. And just again, a reminder for our audience, the way that nationals worked this year or the trials, um, there were a lot of names omitted from from those trials because folks were either out of the country or, you know, were pursuing other things and, and weren't able to make it back. But your event was really special in that you had all three of you, you know, really, really close in performances this year, um, all at the top of your game, all trying to make this team. Jen, you've been at this for a really long time. You've been, you know, not only a national record holder, but a multiple time national champion. What's it been like for you to be part of that that AC trials um, experience this year, but also to kind of bear witness to this rise of steeplechasing in Canada? I think, um, you know, in terms of nationals, it was very different, different competition. However, the race itself didn't really change because we, we did have, um, you know, there was a few, a uh, few athletes who, who did, who chose to, to race outside of the country. But, um, for the most part, you know, we, we still had a very stellar, um, women's steeplechase, um, at nationals. And so it, it made sense in, in terms of our training to, to go and, and, race there because um, why not when you have the chance to you know race in Canada and elevate um, your game as well as everyone else's game like why why not race there and um, so I think in terms of that it it was just it's so exciting to see um, you know I I think I'm one of the older uh, steeplechasers now um, which to me is kind of funny because I was always the young one and then um, but now being being kind of the the veteran of the team um, it is it is really exciting to see uh, the sport grow and develop, and to see um, to see everyone come together and work together to try and achieve uh, these times. You know, we we had the opportunity to to race um, two or three times before uh, throughout this trials and and to get ready for Tokyo. And uh, I think it it shows a strength in the Canadian system that we can work together in Canada to get ready for these games and um, and to have incredible performances and, you know, all be ready to race in that final, I, I think is just so exciting. And uh, yeah, I think that's a very possible outcome is for all of us to be standing on that line, wishing each other luck and and uh, and then racing for our country. So I'm, I'm stoked and, and really excited to to see um, us in Tokyo in that final. <laughs> You know, I think that the women's steeplechase is such a fascinating event because it only became an Olympic event less than 20 years ago, right? 2008, I think, was the first time that the women's steeplechase was contested at the Olympic Games. Um, I remember watching that team and just thinking, first of all, it was ridiculous that it took that long for it to become an Olympic event, but it's been really neat to follow the progress of that over the last um, several years, and especially within Canada, because I think sometimes there's a bit of a catch up and a lag period. But to have the three of you on this team, and then so many other strong women, I mean, Maria Bernard, Jess Ferlin, you know, Aaron Tuschuk, Charlotte Prouse was, you know, a standout in the NCAA and many others. It seems like the depth in this event is one of the strongest in Canada right now. 
And Jen, again, I know you've been at this a long time and I'm not trying to make you out to be, uh, you know, the, the absolute veteran. I'm wondering if you can say any more about what it's like to see such great depth in an event that is pretty new on the world scene. Yeah, I mean, you know, when I started racing internationally um, as a youth athlete in 2007, it hadn't even become you know, an event in the Olympics. And I remember watching Jess Verlin race it and being like, that, that's kind of cool. I didn't know that we had that for, for us. And, and, uh, and then taking a few years, um, it wasn't until 2010 that I actually started racing the event. And, and even at that, it, was, it wasn't my primary event at all. It was just something that I, I tried for fun because World Juniors were in Moncton, so why not? And, um, and then, you know, a few years later, I remember racing uh, Regan at, at Canada Games and, and hearing that there's this up and coming um, young athlete who was, who was going to, you know, who was going for the Canadian record. And so I was like, OK, like, that sounds awesome. Like, yeah, let's let's do that. And then, um, you know, it was in a few years later, we're going to world championships with these full teams. And, uh, you know, Alicia was, was there, too. And and. All of a sudden, all of these names are coming out, and uh, and this yeah, this event that was relatively new is now one of the you know one of Canada's strengths, along with the you know five k, the marathon. Like, how cool is that that we have all of these women running these distance events that um, are are showing you know the next generation that they too can can go out for a run and they can jump over barriers and they can you know face the world and uh, I I just think that as an athlete that is just so fulfilling to um, you know be able to you know continue throughout the sport but also know that the next generations are are evolving and are being interested and uh, trying it out and ultimately you know I hope that in the future we get to see uh, we get to sit on on our couches and watch TV and watch the younger generations compete in the final and be like, oh, yeah, well, we were the first. But, you know, we started that trend and, you know, we're so stoked to be encouraging and supporting the next generations. Jen, given that you have the Olympic experience from Rio to draw on, what will you be focused on going into Tokyo and what are your goals to coming coming out of that uh, that games? Yeah, I think this is something you know I've talked with Regan and Alicia about before is um, preparing for the like the semis and then finals and um, you know knowing that we can make the finals and then getting to the finals and performing and uh, that you know in in Tokyo or in Rio that was something I was just like I just want to make the finals I just want to get there and then I got there and I had no idea what to do so I think heading into Tokyo that's one thing that um we've we've worked on and you know them racing back to back they're, they're used to that and so um we'll run the prelims and then be ready for for competition in the final and uh, facing off against the world is always so exciting on the international stage so enjoying that process and having fun along the way is uh, is definitely a key part to that, but I think yeah we'll all be fearless and calm and uh, and use these girls' energy to to feed off each other and and be ready and then head into it as a team because we are we're Team Canada now. Love it. Welcome to Team Canada. So exciting. What day do you both or all three of you compete in your prelim? What day is the the first round of the women's steeplechase at the Olympics? August first. August first, and then the final is three days later. Yeah, the fourth, right? Yeah. 
All right. So our audience can tune in, of course, throughout the entire uh, track and field window during the Olympics, but especially August 1st and August 4th, if you are looking to follow these three superstars on their journeys to Tokyo. In terms of the next couple of weeks, how can our audience follow you all? Uh, Maybe you can give a shout out to your Twitter and Instagram handles or any other uh, social media or um, blogs or anything like that. I uh, mainly use Instagram, so you can follow me at Alicia Butters. Um, You might have to put in the show notes so that people know the spelling of my first name. But uh, yeah, that's where I'm the most active and will be kind of sharing my story. Perfect. We will definitely include all of this in the show notes. Uh, Regan, how can folks follow you? Yeah, on Instagram at Regan Yee. um, And then on Twitter at underscore Yeezy Does It. (laughs) Love that handle. That's a really good one. Jen, how can our audience learn more and follow you? Well, I guess I'm old school, so you can become my friend on Facebook or you can um, follow me on Instagram at LaLanJen7 when I remember to post or uh, on Twitter. Um, you can follow me in both French and English or a mishmash of both at uh, LaLanJen um, there. So, yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Again, we'll include all of that in the show notes. We'll make sure that we're directing our audience to how they can uh, continue to support all three of you. But best of luck. And thank you so much for joining us today on the ShakeOut podcast. Ladies, I can't wait to see you in Gifu and then in Tokyo. Thanks for having us. Thanks so much, Kate. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the ShakeOut podcast. You can learn more about our women's steeplechasers and all of our Olympic track and field athletes by visiting runningmagazine.ca or picking up the latest print issue on newsstands now. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ShakeOut Podcast. Subscribe to our show on iTunes and please consider leaving us a review. We'll be back next Friday with another episode of Olympic Bound Canadians. Until then, run safe and happy. (laughs) 